sound of college basketball, the sound of the kennel. They are all back. Uh, thanks for joining me for another episode of the unofficial WCC Hoops podcast. I'm Zach Farmer. And yes, that was uh, the sounds from over the weekend at at the McCarthy Center in Spokane. Craziest in the kennel did happen on Saturday. So we are starting to hear and see more and more of the start of the college basketball season, less than a month away from games. Um, and we're going to, I'm going to start with all of the team previews this week. We'll get into Santa Clara. We'll get into USF. We'll get into Pepperdine in this episode. Um, but I'm going to start with a little bit of an update from uh, what we saw at the kennel over the weekend from uh, craziness and uh, just I think the big thing for for WCC fans to kind of like really key in. And one of the things that we've kind of been mentioning here and there throughout the course of the offseason has been the health of Graham E.K. Now, he did miss all of last season with a foot injury before transferring over to Gonzaga. And we did get a little bit of an update on on his health and his progression uh, Jim Meehan from the spoke, uh, Spokesman Review uh, was was there and uh, got Mark Few uh, talking about that. And so here's uh, Mark Few's quote on uh, Graham E.K.'s foot. Uh, quote, he's not quite a year out from the whole episode last year, so kind of pacing it along and going full when we can and then resting it. I think it's in a good spot, but we're just trying to be conscientious and conservative how we're managing it. Which. I think that's, I mean, that's about, I think, what we kind of expected at this stage, um, even if he's still a little on the men and still not fully practicing at all the time with the rest of the team. We're still got a month away from the season. It's a long season to go. And for Gonzaga, uh, really the important thing is that he is healthy uh for the long run of this season and that he's healthy by the time they get to March, because obviously that's when uh, he's going to be most impactful. And obviously throughout the rest of conference play. And so I'm, I don't want to, there's no reading too much into this. It's just kind of a quick update of where Graham EK is. He is practicing these. He's in and out of that based on um, his rest and what, and just slowly kind of bringing him back. So, as the the big thing is that he is practicing and he is uh, starting, he is getting closer and closer to being um, all the way back for the Zags, which is, I think what we, what we all want to see, even for those WCC fans who want to see Gonzaga fall finally at some point, uh, you'd rather beat them at their best. And Graham EK is getting slow. Uh, he's slowly getting back to being uh, back to being healthy and at his best. So, just wanted to leave that note. And then also one of the other notes that came out of Saturday was uh, the January 4th game against Pepperdine, where Pepperdine will be heading up to Spokane. That game will be moved to Spokane Arena, will not be played in the kennel. Uh, and that will be uh, be benefiting the Community Cancer Fund. So that will be a fundraiser um, game at Spokane Arena, obviously a larger venue, and also during winter break for um, Gonzaga University, so it'll also be an opportunity for more of the uh, community to be able to see the Zags um, take on the waves. All right, with that all said, we are now going to start to get into the team previews, and again, we're, we'll go, I'm going to start with uh, USF, we'll get to Santa Clara, and we'll also hear from uh, head coach Herb Sendek a little bit about where the Broncos are right now and what we should expect and who we might expect to see kind of uh, st stepping into larger roles going into the year. And then we'll round out with Pepperdine um, as we talked a little bit about Pepperdine already, um, and we'll see where the waves are go heading into the year. All right. So getting it kicked off, getting it started, we will start with the USF Dons. Last year, we know this team was coming off of an NCAA tournament bid. They were re looking to be able to bounce back and be a bit more uh, and and continue that con uh, strong stretch and continue this really just they've had a long stretch of 20 win seasons. They've been 20 plus wins six of the last seven years. They were able to accomplish that a year ago. 
Uh, but like a lot of the teams there in the middle of the conference with, say, like Santa Clara and LMU, uh, th- these teams, NBYU at the time, uh, these teams all beat up on each other. Uh, US have ended up being tied fifth at seven and nine. Um, Chris Gerlefson, head coach, he was in his first full season as head coach. So there was going to be a lot of transition. And also you missed J- Jamari Bouye, Jan Masalski was gone. Um, Patrick Tape was gone. There was a lot of missing pieces from last from the the NCAA tournament team. So this was going to be a different look, a different team. And that's what we saw a year ago. And we saw a little bit more of it having to be Ty Roberts and Khalil Shabazz and uh, getting to see a little bit more of uh, some of the rest of this roster. Zane Meeks played a huge role, but all three of them are gone. Uh, as well as Julian Rishwain is also uh, gone from this team who was expected to play a big role a year ago. And so there's not a whole lot returning from, it's not to say that the cupboard is bare. Uh, Marcus Williams returns, Josh Coonan returns, Isaiah Hawthorne, Newberry, Saba uh, Gigi Beria all return. So there's, there's some glue guys that are returning from the squad. Marcus Williams, I think is going to make a big jump. Um, in his development, uh, but there you have the guys who are going to do a lot of the dirty work that return, and I think that's gonna that's a big key for this uh, Don's team moving in. A lot of return, a lot of newcomers, I should say, are also coming in. We've talked off and on about some of these newcomers. Uh, you have Jonathan Mogbo coming over from Missouri State, six uh, eight forward, redshirt junior. Uh, defensive specialist. This was one of the better defensive players uh, in the Missouri Valley. He averaged 8.7 rebounds, uh, as more than a steal, more than a block per game in 24 minutes. Uh, he was one of the more highly sought after transfers. And we talked about, as kind of mentioned, that they were missing that low post presence, Masalski being gone, Tape being gone. That really made a huge difference for the Dons a couple seasons ago. They needed to get that back, and Mogbo is going to be a huge piece to filling in some of those gaps for USF uh, going into the year. Uh, Stefan uh, Todorovic, uh, SMU transfer, six, also 6'8". Six, uh, this is a guy that they are going to be really dependent upon uh, from the perimeter. Uh, career 35% three-point shooter at SMU. Um, he was invited to the Nike Summit Hoops Camp back in 2021, where he averaged a team best 15.7 points per game. This is a guy who can who can score. This is a guy who can get buckets, uh, get points, and he's going to be able to help the Don stretch the floor, uh, which is another thing that they uh, did miss a year ago out, outside of Shabazz, who really could actually take over uh, games from time to time. Another veteran that they brought in, and I think it's key to note that like they're bringing in a lot of guys with experience. And as we know in this conference, uh, experience matters. And having guys who uh, know the college game, know know how to be to go about their business is important. Uh, and one of those guys being brought in is Robbie Beasley from UC Davis, six uh, three guard, missed a huge part of last season due to an injury. Uh, but this was a 42% three-point shooter a year ago, uh, 9.4 points per game uh, while he was at Davis. The year before that, he was at Montana, was an all-Big Sky honorable mention. So he's going to be a guy I think is going to provide a lot of leadership as well. He's going to be a junior. Todorovich is a junior. You have Magbo, who's a junior. Uh, Malik Thomas coming in from USC is also a junior. Um, he didn't get a whole lot of playing time at USC a year ago, but this is a guy who's going to be able to give this team some defensive flexibility. Uh, he might be one of the better defenders on the perimeter on this team. A lot. Um, so Mogbo will kind of be like that stopper down low. And Thomas should be one of those guys out on the perimeter who's going to be able to uh, be a lockdown guy. Uh, before, And I'll make mention of, because um, uh, Robbie Beasley may talked about him a little bit his younger brother uh ryan uh or ronnie is going to be on this team as well and this is and this is a guy who was high highly uh sought after as well he was on the max preps all california second team this past season 24 points 6.8 rebounds almost two steals a game 
Uh, junior year, he was the, the Chronicles Contra Costa County Tri-Valley Player of the Year with 30 points per game. Another guy who knows how to score. Like He and his brother are going to put up points. Um, we'll see how much playing time Ronnie gets initially in his first year because there's a lot of depth on this team. So uh, there's going to be some competition for minutes, and how and we'll see how this all breaks down. Now, especially considering the guard position, we can't go anywhere without not talking about Mike Sharav Jones, Mongolian Mike, as he has been dubbed, 6'8 guard, sophomore transfer from Dayton. He didn't get a whole lot of playing time at Dayton. Uh, he was still a 23-minute-per-game uh, guy there, 5.6 points, 2.6 assists per game. But this is a guy who brings a lot of unique talent to the floor, and he'll bring a lot of that to the Dons. This is a guy who is expected to actually be more of a distributor. You might actually, so this is a guy who could be a six eight point guard for USF. He's expected to be one of those guys. There's a there's a lot of high high expectations for him, and going into the year, that's going to be a huge story. Maybe one of my key storylines for the Dons going in is can he meet the hype? Can he meet the expectations that a lot of people have set on him early on? Um, and I don't want to necessarily do that. I want to kind of have like a wait and see approach uh, with him. Um, and now I hope he meets all those expectations and what he's able to do, uh, because this is a team that on paper looks like a team that could actually be back in an NCAA tournament conversation. They have the pieces. They bring back enough solid uh, contributors. Again, you look at Marcus Williams. You look at Josh Kuhn and Isaiah Hawthorne, Newberry. These are going to be guys who are going to play significant roles for this team. And then paired with Mogbo, Sharavjans, Beasley, Todorovic, like Thomas. Like there's a lot of depth to this team, maybe a little deeper than this team has been over the last few years. And that's going to serve USF well. It's going to serve them well. Uh, as they go through the season. And as we talk about these these guys, there's a few storylines as I'm kind of thinking it through and thinking about USF and what they might be. I've already talked about can Mongolian Mike meet the hype. I think that's that's number one. Number two is this the is this transfer class for real and how quickly can they hit the ground running? Like a lot of other teams around the country, there was a lot of turnover. There was a lot of people hitting the portal. And a lot of teams are going to be trying to figure out how to gel quickly. And this is true of a lot of the other teams around the WCC as well. USF is, is going to have to deal with that. USF is going to have to figure out how are they going to play with each other and how to do this quickly. You have a lot of guys who have a lot of different skill sets. The one thing I think is that they fit well together. They they seem to have complementary talents. They this way that USF has most of the holes filled, or at least as we see, do they have these holes filled? It seems like they have the point guard. It seems like they have the deep. They've added some of that defense that they sorely missed a year ago. It seems that they have key glue guys coming back. It seems that they have enough guys who are going to be able to score. They have enough shooters, and this is a team we know relies heavily upon. It's its ability to maximize and take care, maximize and, and really utilize its analytics to be able to uh, succeed. And so get a lot of th good three point shooters on this team. So it will be fascinating to see if the if what we see on paper, what we see in the analytics is going to translate on the court. And ha and another point and reference it a little bit has. USF solved its interior defense problem. We saw two years ago what a difference both Patrick Tepe and Yawan Masalski made for this team. Because the pairing of Bouye and Shabazz had been there for a few years, and they had been decent, but they couldn't get over that hump. They couldn't make, they couldn't break through and make the NCAA tournament. And the second they solved this interior defensive problem, it all changed. This team became the team that we, that the potential they all had. And we got to see them on a bigger stage, and they really impressed on that bigger stage. 
Now it's, does the addition of Jonathan Mogbo solve that? Does the development of Gigi Beria help to solve that? Does the progression of some of the other members of this roster help on the front line? Is the front line deep enough to be able to make the make that front line a a strength rather than maybe one of their weaknesses, which you could point to was a weakness a year ago, just based on the types of players that they had down there. Zane Meeks played a lot at the four and the five a year ago, and that's not where uh, he should have been playing. There was a lot you could point to a lot of things with just what they just rotationally wise development wise that they missed a year ago and they may have solved it but that's going to be one of the keys to watch going into this year can they rebound well enough can they defend the paint well enough can they uh, defend the rim well enough are they going to be able to do enough things on the defensive and down low to be able to get over the hump because as we know in this conference especially, you're going to have to defend the paint well because Gonzaga and St. Mary's both have legit size and skilled size. And if you hope to be able to kind of break through on against either one of them, you better be able to play well in the paint. And with all of that, thinking about all of these different uh different scenarios, different storylines. Can they get back to the NCAA tournament? Can USF return to the place they were just a couple seasons ago? And what will it take? I think what it's going to take is them really doing well. Is one, all these things starting to come together. It may not need to be all of it, but it needs to be most of these things come into fruition. It needs to it needs to be one, the interior defense has to be solved. That has to be one of the things that goes well for them. They also have to be able to get some they also have to have quickly developed leadership from the guard spots because the one thing we know in college basketball is you can have a great front line, but if you don't have guards who can perform on a high level on a, almost a night in, night out basis. You are not going to be able to reach the NCAA tournament, and then you will not be able to succeed once you're there. That is another thing that has to go right for USF. That Now, that doesn't mean that it has to be certain guys. It doesn't mean it has to be Mongolian Mike. It doesn't mean it has to be Malik Thomas. But it does have to be some combination of these guys that are going to do well. Otherwise, there's no way that USF is going to be able to reach the NCAA tournament. Now, as far as the tournament goes, they have the schedule that I think that can help them get there. We always talk about the strength of schedule and do you have the games not only to get you there, but also do you have enough to maybe overcome a pitfall here and there? Because nobody is going to be perfect. Everybody is going to lose a game. Everybody's going to lose many games. And it's a matter of minimizing your mistakes, but then also capitalizing on the opportunities you have. And if you only have one or two chances, it really puts the pressure on all the other games to be perfect. And I think USF has done a really good job of building a schedule that allows them to have multiple opportunities, but then also they don't have to be completely perfect. And as I look through the schedule, there are a few games that really stand out. And there's a number of games that stand out to me. On, on November 12th, they'll be at Boise State, which obviously is going to be a really good game. Boise has been in the tournament each of the last couple of years. Uh, they'll be heading down to Phoenix to take on Grand Canyon. Uh, that same weekend, they'll take on either South Carolina or DePaul. They have Arizona State, Vanderbilt both on the road. Uh, they have a neutral with Utah State, and then they will be hosting Fresno State. So a lot of Mountain West teams that really do expect to be at the, the top half of that league. Uh, many who we know are year-in, year-out NCAA tournament uh, contenders. 
Uh, And then also a couple of big conference teams, Arizona State, who they throttled a year ago. I wouldn't expect that to happen this year. I would expect the game to be much more competitive this time around. I'm sure Bobby Hurley will make sure that they are ready this time. Uh, And then a trip to Vanderbilt is also going to be a huge thing for this team. Uh, I I expect them to not be perfect through this stretch. I expect them to lose some of these games, but I expect them to win some of these games. You have to remember last year after that Arizona State, the Arizona State blowout, that only a couple nights later than they lost to a UT Arlington team that they should not have lost to. And part of that was a scheduling thing. Part of that was just bad timing, but they fell flat in that game, and it really did make a huge difference in uh, the the metrics and the outlook for, for that USF team. This schedule gives them plenty of opportunities to not have to rely on one or the other. They'll have multiple shots at good teams to build a resume. And of course, then once again on the conference play, they're going to have to handle their business. That does mean you're not gonna you're not gonna be able to lose to the likes of San Diego or Portland, which they lost to a year ago. Or I would say even just like the Pepperdines. LMU and Santa Clara are going to be interesting just based on where their numbers are going in to the season where they end up net wise. Uh, And I think that's going to be the challenge is with those three of, because there's a chance that all three of them could end up cannibalizing each other. And you have, if you're going to make the NCAA tournament, you're going to have to be the team that avoids being cannibalized. You're going to have to avoid that for the most part. And then with St. Mary's Gonzaga, and if you do enough, in the non-conference, you may not need to beat either of them in in conference play. USF proved that just a couple of years ago, that they didn't have to beat St. Mary's. They didn't have to beat Gonzaga, and they still made the NCAA tournament because of the way they, because of the schedule they had otherwise. Now, now that being said, they did still end up as a 10 seed, and I think they should have been much higher than that. I think they got jobbed on that front, but it does show that it is possible to build your schedule, do enough in the non-conference, and not have to beat either St. Mary's or Gonzaga to get into the NCAA tournament. That also Now, part of that is because there, there's also no BYU in the conference now, so you do have to make up for that a little bit in the non-conference. I think uh, USF has given themselves enough opportunities for that. So we'll see. This USF team, I think, is going to be fascinating to watch all year long. I think they have a lot of interesting pieces. They're probably going to be one of the more exciting teams in the WCC again. Um, and we, the one thing we know is that uh, one of the more exciting games to watch uh, during the conference schedule is going to be when, when USF and Santa Clara meet up because those two have given us some of the best games all year long um, over the last few seasons. Uh, so I expect those games to be uh, must-watch uh, appointment television uh, between the Dons and the Broncos. So looking at this USF team in the overall scheme, I this is a team that to me does feel like a 20-win team again. Do I think they're going to get to the NCAA tournament? I think that they're probably going to be just on the outside looking in. I do think that there's a high, high potential for this team. I think they also have of the other three, the 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 highest floor. I do think that there's that this is a team that's going to be exciting. They're going to play well. I don't expect them to finish any lower than fifth going into the year. And we'll do. I'm going to do the full um, predictions uh, later on in the month. But this is about where I have. I think they'll be finishing somewhere between three and five in WCC play. They'll be a 20 plus win C- team. That's about where I see uh, USF uh, finishing up uh, this coming year and maybe just on the outside. Uh, probably, I'm thinking, in an IT bid for this team. All right. So, next, as we go, start to look into what some of these other teams are up to, what what everyone is doing, we're going to now transition over to Santa Clara. And the Broncos are also going to be a very fascinating team to watch. I'm I'm going to love watching these two go back and forth all year long. Uh, Santa Clara, 23 and 10 a year ago, 
They were third place for the second straight year. They were in the NIT and were bounced in the first round. Uh, Herb Sendek has done a great job. Is, this will be his eighth season with the Broncos. 20-plus win in three of the last four years. Uh, that one where he, uh, they didn't reach that was the pandemic year, so that, obviously that was most teams and I uh, hit that 20-win plateau again. Uh, there's a lot to go into with this team, uh, but before we do, um, I, let's go ahead and go into uh, the interview um, I had with uh, Herb Sendek, and he could talk a little bit more about what what he sees as Broncos team as and what we could expect uh, moving forward. I'm happy to bring on uh, Santa Clara head coach Herb Sendek. He's in his eighth season with the Broncos, uh, coming off back-to-back uh, three, third-place finishes. Coach, how's it going? How was your summer? And um, how were you able to take any time off over the summer? Yeah, no, for sure. Um, we had a great summer. You know, our guys worked really hard. Uh, I thought we showed marked improvement as the days went by. Um, and we're excited now to be at the beginning stages of regular season practice. Yeah, and obviously there's a lot of transition coming into this year. You, got, you had to replace five starters going into this year. Um, you you had back-to-back uh, NBA first-rounders, obviously, is a huge kind of like feather in the cap with both not only Brandon Pajemski, but also uh, Jalen Williams. Thinking about just how how has how has this team started to gel in these first uh, few weeks of practice, knowing that there's been there's a lot of turnover on this team. Yeah, you know, we we start as a collection of individuals, and we work really hard every day to become a team, a cohesive unit, where guys uh, carve out roles, understand their roles, and accept their roles. Um, so we're at the beginning stages of that process here a few days into the start of practice. Uh, we made progress along those lines throughout the summer, but now that we have more time together and we're actually practicing on a regular basis, um, you know, we expect to really move that needle. But we, you're right, we have a, a number of new players and we have to come together and, and become the best team we could possibly be. And obviously, there's a lot of kind of really interesting pieces that you've brought in. You can talk about we can talk about Adama Ball, Jalen Benjamin, uh, Johnny O'Neal. There's a lot of guys who you brought in who have a lot of upside. And how as you've put together that class of um, incomers and transfers, um, what kind of what excites you about uh, the potential of that group? Well, I I think we have uh, a collection of experience. We have versatility. Um, and we have talent, you know, and I think uh, together with the returning players, you know, we have a team that has good depth, obviously, uh, with the caveat that it's always important to remain healthy. Would you just looking on paper, it actually kind of looks like that this might be a deeper team than you've had maybe in the last couple of years. Uh, is that kind of fair to say, at least early on? Absolutely, Zach. I think uh, without question. Uh, it's the deepest team we've had in some time. And you talked about some of the uh, the returners. Uh, and obviously, we got to see a lot of really nice things from uh, Christoph Tilly at the end of last season. And he, and he started to kind of like play into what might be a more significant role this coming year. Uh, kind of talk about what the work he's been able to do in the offseason and what, uh, what his outlook might be for uh, this coming year. Well, you're, you're right to um, recognize Kristoff. He really started to come on the second half of last season, his freshman year. Um, he pig- piggybacked that with a, tr- excuse me, a tremendous offseason. Most notably, he's really changed his body. He's much stronger. He obviously has a great deal more confidence, and we're expecting him to continue to progress and be an outstanding player for us. As you kind of like think about what his role, because obviously, like this is a this is a larger league. A lot of teams, like you think about St. Mary's and Gonzaga, just being the size of those teams. Uh, how how have you seen like maybe like what his how his size and his um, conditioning and strength has that improved? How do you see that translating against some of the better teams in the league? Well, I think his his improved physical being. Uh, is impacting his game in every way in a positive way. Um, 
this is a team here at Santa Clara this year that has tremendous size. Uh, we have to be among the biggest teams in all of college basketball. Yeah, and then another one of those, I, I, another returner that really kind of like started to play better down the stretch is Cameron Tongue. Uh, talk about what, that what his his development and like kind of like how you've seen kind of his growth over the last year going into his junior year. Yeah, no, no Cameron has been um, on on a steady incline, moving forward improving each step of the way and once again you're you're absolutely right zach um the last part of the previous season together with Kristoff, they gave us a good one-two punch uh coming off the bench and ultimately in key key moments you know in the second half when the games were on the line uh, both of those young men were on the court uh playing productive basketball for us and so someone we didn't get to see a whole lot of last year because he got banged up uh, was Carl, Carlos Marshall Jr. What's what's his status right now, and how is and how is he progressing? Yeah, it was really a, a gut punch for our team last year. Um, after our third game of the year, he was out for the rest of the season with an injury. Um, fortunately, uh, he's made a full recovery and right now is healthy. I think he's in the best shape of his career. And we're looking forward to a lot of productivity from him. Uh, but certainly his loss last year was very significant for us. And uh, we're thrilled that he was able to come back this year and uh, looking forward to having him, you know, uh, play an important role for our team. It, you have a lot of pieces that you're going to be able to mix and match. Uh, are, early on, do we think that, we're, that you might be using a few more obviously like experimenting with a few more combinations in the lineups or how do you see kind of like the early part of the season working out with um, not only the returners, but then also obviously so many new pieces. Yeah, that that's the, that's the puzzle that we're trying to put together right now. And uh, you know, the, uh, it seems like the thinking may change from Monday to Tuesday, from Wednesday to Thursday. Um, but that's, not unique to us you know that's what teams around the country right now are doing uh, especially with uh, so many teams welcoming you know more than two or three newcomers and so it takes some time there's a process uh, to learn about each other and to determine you know what are the best combinations how do you want to play um, you know and, and so that's that's what we're trying to figure out right now and and you have a schedule that's going to actually set you up really well if you're able to kind of like find the find the the puzzle, um, I guess, a little more quickly. Think about like those games against Stanford, the Emerald Coast Classic, which gives you great opportunities. As you've kind of like built the last few years, um, you've had back-to-back 21 seasons. Been, we're in the NIT. You've kind of been able to kind of grow slowly and slowly. This, this schedule really seems like it sets you up potentially for at least has more opportunity to put together an NCAA tournament uh, type of resume. Uh, what, as you kind of put together that schedule, was that, was that kind of the mindset of late? And how do you see like um, early on, obviously, because there's a lot of challenges in the schedule. Yeah, no, our, our schedule is uh, very challenging. Uh, once again, arguably the most challenging schedule we have faced. And um, that was very purposeful. Um, we want to play a great schedule. Um, you know, our mindset is uh, to play as difficult a schedule as we possibly can. Uh, so we're we're a very willing partner when it comes to scheduling. And uh, I think our team will be challenged night in, night out. And if we can prevail in, in enough of those games, uh, we have positioned ourselves to be an NCAA tournament team. And how... And how is like of the attitude of the returners and now they kind of have seen like that, that, that there is progress, there is growth. Like, again, like thinking about the guys like Tilly and tongue and Marshall and Napper who are all coming back and seeing how this team has grown. Um, what's, do you see like, kind of like those guys taking a little bit more of like the, the cultural leadership role on this team or, or do you see like already some of the new guys starting to step into those roles? Well, I think it's a combination. You know, leadership isn't reserved in our program for one or two players. Over the course of 
prolonged season, we all have opportunities to both be leaders and followers, myself included. And, um, you know, and so I, I think it's a combination of both. We have uh, returners who have outstanding leadership attributes, but we also have new guys who are older, experienced, and, you know, don't have to wait in line to be a leader. And, and obviously, like, this is, it's probably a really important thing to kind of figure out, like, like who those guys, their step up early, because you got lost so many uh, really key guys on that leadership front from a year ago. And I, I mean, guys, I think of Keyshawn Justice uh, as kind of like the chief among them on that team last year who had been at Santa Clara for five years. And just kind of talk about like, like guys like here, Pajemski, who like, and what they meant um, in last year's team and what they meant maybe for the younger guys that are still here. Sure. No, if you have a healthy program, you know, the older guys are always uh, helping the new guys. Um, you know, your culture is passed on uh, from one team to another to some degree. But at the same time, you have to work on culture each and every day. You're never finished with it. Um, but guys who lay the foundation, who set the tone, um, who who uh, establish the standards, you know, that, that really helps and goes a long way. But just because those guys did it last year and we have some returners who learn from them doesn't mean that we don't have heavy lifting to do every day now. All right. And then as as we kind of um, head out, um, how how kind of was it almost a little more satisfying as you're kind of watching the NBA draft, uh, seeing not only Brandon Pajemski go as early as he did, but then see that he only ended up down the street and that he ended up actually with the Warriors. So probably either spend some time between there and Santa Cruz and that he'll be around and have an opportunity to be around the program a little bit more. Yeah, I don't expect him to be in Santa Cruz. Uh, I think his, the expectation is for him to have a, a, an important role on this year's team with Golden State. Um, but obviously, we're tremendously proud of him, uh, extremely happy for him. He had a remarkable season last year, co-WCC Player of the Year, uh, 19th pick in the NBA draft. And we're so excited and looking forward to continuing to cheer for him. And you're right, the fact that he's down the street um, here playing for the Warriors is an added benefit. We can see him more often. In fact, he was here last weekend for practice. And so we keep him in the neighborhood. And, you know, that obviously facilitates us staying in close touch. Yeah, and he couldn't have he couldn't ask for two um, well better mentors at that point guard spot with Steph Curry and Chris Paul this year. Amen to that. I mean, I'm so happy that he's together with those two. I think you're exactly right. I mean, if you were going to handpick two guys in the league to be a mentor for a young guard, how could you do better than Paul and Curry? Two guys I have just immense respect for, not only with their basketball greatness, but with regard to the kind of people they are. Um, so Brandon's opportunity to learn how to be a pro um, from those two guys is going to be second to none. Yeah. All right. Uh, thanks, Coach, for hopping on and talking some Santa Clara basketball. Um, I'm sure you're excited that we're only a few weeks away from getting games going. Um, so thanks a lot for hopping on, and um, uh, we'll be in touch uh, down the road. Zach, thank you very much uh, for having me. I really appreciate it, and enjoy a great college basketball season yourself. Yeah. Thanks, Coach. Appreciate it. Once again, thanks to uh, Coach Sendak for hopping on, talking a little bit Bronco basketball. So this team is, I think, going to be really fascinating to watch, as I mentioned before, because not only has this team been able to kind of figure it out uh, the last couple of years, obviously you have Jalen Williams, you have Brandon Pajemski, but there's a lot of pieces on that team that I think have high, high uh ceilings because of who they bring back unlike usf i think there's a couple of uh, people on the santa clara team who might be playing larger roles in their returning uh, because as a returner than maybe some of the usf guys uh, first off and talked a little bit about it uh, christoph tilly i think is going to be one of those guys uh, as we kind of go through like he had a great great end of the season last year he didn't get a whole lot of playing time 
uh, overall just 12 minutes a game. Uh, but in the but toward the end of that season, he was a double-digit score in five of the last 10. Uh, in that NIT game, he had 16 points, eight rebounds uh, in 32 minutes. You started to see what he could be. And he's going to be challenged um, in in practice and in the non-conference because he's not alone on that on that post, he has some very experienced guys who are also going to be fighting for playing time. Francisco Cafaro, uh, the seven-one center transfer from Virginia, he's going to be a part of that, uh, and really giving Tilly a lot of opportunity to uh, to battle and against a high ma- a high major um, caliber talent, and then al- and then also try to like he's going to be able to grow. I very quickly i think like as we saw what he was able to do a year ago and we know in the wcc you need to have size and tilly has that size um and so we're going we're going to see i think a lot of really good progression from him and he's going to play a key role uh and and also cameron tongue like we i talked about it with coach sendek uh because he also got better and better as the season went along uh he had increased points per game and po- increased rebounds per game in conference play shot 50% from the field. I don't, I think he's still going to play a little bit more of a role um, coming off the bench with this squad, but I fully expect him to be a key contributor on this team. And this team just seems deeper than it did a year ago and looks deeper than it was a year ago. Uh, Think about Tilly, you think about Tom Carlos Marshall jr was supposed to be an impact guy a year ago and supposed to be able to play a significant role on that team. And he just, and he quit and he did not get that shot because he got, he got hurt early on in the year, missed the rest of the season. His return is going to be a huge uh, lift for Santa Clara uh, going into this season. And just the number of guys that you see that are coming in. And first and foremost, everyone points to Adama Ball. Uh, the Arizona transfer. This is a kid who was ESPN top hundred, highly recruited uh, on the French national team, on the French U nineteen team. Uh, this he and he played over the summer, played well over the summer in France. Uh, he only he only got to play eight point two minutes a game last year for Tommy Lloyd. But is he is he the Jalen Williams, Brandy Pajemski replacement? Is he that guy? Only time will tell. I don't. I think it's far too early to say that there be there'll be anybody uh, who will be the Jalen Williams or Brandon Pajemski of this year's team because I think that's an unfair expectation that there will be somebody like that because nobody thought nobody saw it to be Jalen Williams. Nobody thought it would be Pajemski, and they both exceeded expectations, highly exceeded expectations. Both became NBA first rounders, and and to think that there's another one on this team is going to is is an unfair thing to say of anybody and any team that there's going to be another one another one another one to borrow from DJ Khaled. Um no so so is there someone who could follow maybe but I don't think that's a fair expectation of anybody that there's going to be someone who can follow in the footsteps of those two and and another storyline for this Santa Clara team i think is going to be the fact that they lost their entire starting five from a year ago the thing about the fact that Brandy Pajemski is gone Carlos Stewart is gone Keyshawn Justice is gone Parker Brown is gone uh Jaden Mediaco is gone the entire starting five is gone and now they have to retool and redo this lineup and what does that look like? Is Christoph Tilly going to be the guy right away? Are we going to see uh, Francisco Cafaro um, be that role early on? Is I probably expect Cameron, uh, uh, sorry, Carlos Marshall to be in that starting lineup early on. Adama Ball probably he'll be in there. Um, is John? How much of a role will Johnny O'Neill, the transfer from American, be? Uh, this is one of the better three-point shooters. Uh, for American, 39% from the field, 39% from three-point range, 11 points per game last year. He's going to be a key figure for Santa Clara. Tyree Bryan coming over from Charleston Southern. This is another guy who you really are going to have to watch out for. 6'6 guard. You 
He was also a high, high percent three-point shooter, 42% from the field, 10.5 points, 5.5 rebounds from the guard spot. So this is a this is a Santa Clara team that is that is probably deeper, even if they lost their entire starting five from a year ago. Because between the returners and the newcomers, each of them could end up in this starting lineup. Each of them could end up playing a significant role uh, going into this season. And how, like we talked about with USF, how quickly can they gel? How quickly can they put it together? How quickly can they find their rhythm and their rotations? And it's probably going to be a work in progress as we go through this uh, non-conference schedule and before we get to conference play. And then it leads to the question of, can Santa Clara break through and reach the NCAA tournament? Like we like talking about USF, a lot of things have to go right. I think we have to see Christoph Tilly make that next leap. I think Adama Ball has to be that guy. Not not Pajemski, Jalen Williams level, but he has to be a significant contributor for this to work. I think we're going to have to see Carlos Marshall be healthy. And we're going to have to see... Uh, Jalen Benjamin um, and Johnny O'Neill and Tyree Bryan all contribute in a big way because of how much they are missing, how much they don't, they cannot rely upon, uh, or not just rely, can't rely upon, but just like there's a lot of pieces that have to be able to fit for this for this team to work and to pick up the wins they need. And I think it is possible because much like USF Santa Clara has put together a schedule that's going to give them plenty of opportunities to get big wins they're going to have opportunities to pick up key wins and then also they've given themselves enough chance just in case that game here or there falls through like we saw a couple years ago uh, with Santa Clara, that maybe that stretch in December where where Joseph Rankich missed games and they dropped a couple games that they shouldn't have. And many might say that that is what cost them a potential at-large bid was what happened in the non-conference. They've given themselves more opportunities for big wins. And looking at this schedule, again, talked about what USF did. Santa Clara is not far behind on that. Uh, they'll, be they'll be at Stanford on November 14th. They'll be playing in the Emerald Coast Classic uh, the weekend of the 24th. They, have or they will play Oregon, and then they play either Alabama or Ohio State. All, all of those games are going to be great opportunities. I, now, I do think that they'll have a far better chance against Ohio State than Alabama. but in either case, it's going to be a great opportunity, and they can remain. I think they, I think they can take care of Oregon early on in the season. Oregon usually doesn't play all too well early on. They're going to be at Cal. They're going to be. They have New Mexico. They have Utah State, Washington State, San Jose State, who was a surprise team a year ago. Now, obviously, not an NCAA tournament team, but a far better team than a lot of people expected uh, that they would be. There's a ton of opportunity for Santa Clara uh, in this non-conference to be able to pick up good wins. And even if they drop a game here or two, there's plenty of chances to get it back. There's plenty of chances to get it back uh, with any one of these teams. Cal, I said Cal, and Cal was terrible a year ago, but I expect Cal to be a lot better this year with Mark Madsen as the head coach, uh, with some of the talent that he was able to bring in very quickly. Uh, so I I do think that that's going to be a much better game now than it did look maybe uh, five months ago, six months ago. New Mexico is going to be a hell of a game. St. Mary's also has them on their schedule. And New Mexico has one of the best backcourts in the country coming back. Uh, Utah State is always a tough matchup and, and just crushed Santa Clara a year ago. So that's that's going to be a game where they're going to have them at the Levy Center. Uh, that's going to be a little bit of maybe, not necessarily a revenge game, but 
there's going to be something to prove for the Santa Clara team, even if the cast of characters will be nearly completely different uh, than the team they saw a year ago. So a lot of opportunity. This is the Santa. And once again, in the conference, same thing, like we talked about, like I mentioned with USF, they're going to have to avoid getting caught in the dogfight with USF and LMU. Uh, those three are going to, there won't be two that um, if there's one to get to the NCAA tournament, one of them will have to separate themselves from the other two and clean, clean up well against the other two opponents. They cannot get into a, get into a, in a, in a dogfight with these other schools, because if they do, they'll all end up missing the tournament. So one of them is going to have to emerge. One of them is going to have to play well enough to separate themselves because, and that could also be because you may not have to beat St. Mary's. You may not have to beat Santa Clara or Gonzaga. Excuse me. Do I think they can beat either one of them? I do. Actually, I do think that they can beat either one of them. I think USF is capable of beating either one of them this year. And Santa Clara did beat St. Mary's a couple seasons ago, so we know it's possible for Santa Clara to do it. They haven't been able to get over the hump against Gonzaga. They got close a year ago. And this is not, I don't think this is as good a Gonzaga team as a year ago. But I don't, but we need to wait and see of where the Santa Clara team is going to rank up against the team of a year ago. Have they so in the overall, has this Santa Clara team put themselves in a good position? Absolutely. They have absolutely put themselves in a good position for a potential NCAA tournament bid, which they have this is a team that has not been there in a long, long time. They have given themselves, they have the schedule to do it. They have the potential pieces that can get them there. Now it's a matter of just getting the wins and avoiding enough, avoiding enough of the pitfalls that will come, come along the way. Win what you have, win what you're supposed to win, and then pick up a few of these key Q1, Q2 games that will help you get over the hump. So, in the grand scheme of things, where do I see the Santa Clara team? I think they're they're also going to be somewhere between that three to five range. I think that's about where you should expect to see Santa Clara. Do I think they're a twenty win team again? Yes, I do. I do think they're a twenty win team again. I think the postseason is going to end up depending upon what happens in the non conference. I do think there's a few more. There is more variability, I think, to Santa Clara than there is to USF. I said USF, I think, is at least an NIT team. I think Santa Clara is maybe a notch below a guarantee NIT team. Do I think they have the potential to get to the NCAA tournament? Absolutely. But I think that this is a team that's going to be hovering somewhere on the bubble of the NIT uh, if not getting in solidly. So I think that's about where Santa Clara will fall. And we'll have to see um, what how this all plans out, but that's roughly where I have the Broncos going into the season. All right. So one last team in this first preview, and this team is going to be Pepperdine. Pepperdine is a team that we know has struggled the last couple of years. They were nine and twenty-two a year ago, two and fourteen in league at the bottom of the WCC. Lorenzo Romar in round two at Pepperdine in his sixth season there. There's this is they are one of the more confounding teams, one of the more confusing teams in the league because we all know they have talent. We all know they have a lot of talent. <laughs> Just even looking at who they lost from a year ago in that short list that you have Max Lewis, who was an NBA draftee to the Lakers. You have Mike Mitchell, who transferred to Minnesota. You had Jan Zedek, who was a 
key contributor and a starter for the last couple of years with the Waves. Carson Basham, who was who I I really liked as an up and comer for that team, uh, reminded me a lot of Omar Samhan back in the day. He also leaves, and it and with all of that talent that left, and all of a lot of like I thought really nice talent that could have been big contributors to this team moving forward. It's not that the cupboard is bare. There is still a lot of talent on this team. Houston Millette returns, and he is one of the, the best scorers in the WCC. You have Javon Porter, who might might very well be the best NBA prospect in the conference, returning. We saw his, his really breakout performance against BYU uh, last year. Malik Moore. Malik Moore is also going to be a huge part of what this team is able to do. Uh, Jalen Petrie is another one. Like he's going to be, he, he's going to take another step. I think this year, uh, Bobakara Kulabali, the USC transfer, big man. Uh, we know that he, there's size on this team. There's talent on this team. They are, they are so confusing of a team because we know they can score, but they couldn't play defense. They couldn't play defense, and that is still going to be a challenge for the squad and how they're able to adjust going into this year without some of those bigger scores, bigger offensive contributors. It feels like maybe that they're going to have to rely upon being by committee almost. Uh, one, of the, one of the key guys coming in uh, is Ethan Anderson from Wyoming, six-foot guard, uh, Key contributor for that squad, 54% from the field, uh, 2.9 assists, uh, 7.9 points per game, about 25 minutes per contest. Because remember, this is a team that did lose uh, Mike Mitchell Jr., so they are going to need somebody who can fill him to that point guard spot and be a distributor. That should be what Anderson can be for this team because he's a grad transfer, and they really are going to need him to be a stabilizing factor. Uh, and it's going to need to happen fast uh, for this team to, I think, develop before we get the conference play. Because one of the things to note about this team is they are, even if they have a pretty solid group of returners with Millette, with Porter, with Moore, uh, Petrie, Kulabali, they're still very young. There are 11 players who are a redshirt sophomore or younger on this team. And almost the complete opposite of what I talked about with USF and Santa Clara, where they had a, those teams brought in a ton of experience. Pepperdine is going to be relying upon a lot of youth. So there's going to be a lot of mistakes. There's going to be growing pains. For the third straight year, there's going to be a lot of growing pains uh, with this team. And can they, can they be better on the defensive end? Can they put this all together? Can they play more cohesively? Uh, we know this is one of the biggest challenges for this team. One of the worst defensive teams in the WCC. Uh, they finished just ahead of uh, San Diego in those metrics, and San Diego was one of the worst in the country defensively. So how is this team going to develop? How is this team going to be able to put this together and how much of the weight of all of this is going to be put on to Houston Millette and then also Javon Porter. These two are unquestionably two of the best players in the WCC. We know that Houston Millette can, can be a guy who can give you 30 in a game. We know Javon Porter can do the same. And we've seen them do it against some of the better teams in the league. Can they do it all year long? Maybe not, thir not 30 a game, obviously, but can they be consistent scores, high-level scores all year long? Is this team going to be able to be competitive enough to pick up wins? Uh, they did have seven non-conference wins a year ago, but we, all, we saw it fall apart in conference, and that is where they need to be more cohesive and play with fewer mistakes. This is a Pepperdine team that just was one of the worst defensive teams in the league. They really, 
it's it's really kind of hard to actually describe just like how poor defensively they were a year ago. Uh, San Diego by far was the worst, uh, but Pepperdine was right there with them. Uh, they allowed opponents to shoot nearly 50% from the field, which was second worst in the conference. Uh, they, they also were turned the ball over the most at 13.8. So they didn't take care of the ball. They did not play good perimeter defense. They did not play good defense. And as you know, like you don't do those two things, you're not going to win a whole lot of games. So the the task for this team is to improve on the defensive end and to take care of the basketball. We talked about it last year that one of LMU's problems was taking care of the basketball. And and sure enough, as they got a little bit better in that, the team succeeded more as well. So for Pepperdine, if they can take care of the basketball better, it will help them in the long run of getting through uh, not only the non-conference, but also conference play. This is a team that loves to play high, high up-tempo, high-paced basketball, which, yes, that's going to lead to some turnovers. But when you're playing a lot of these teams who are so efficient, the Gonzagas, the St. Mary's, uh, the Santa Clara's, you better you better take care of the basketball because they are teams that will just crush you if you don't. And there will be a few pretty good opportunities for San, this Pepperdine team uh, going into the non-conference. They have UNLV. Uh, they do have a game against against New Mexico on a neutral site. So that'll be a, that's going to be a tough challenge for uh, Pepperdine because again, talked about New Mexico in the Santa Clara preview that this is one of the best backcourts in the country. Uh, anybody is going to have a tough time with them. St. Mary's had a tough time with them a year ago um, and ended up losing that game in Moraga. And then they're at Colorado. So a few nice opportunities for them. They do have a lot of winnable games in the non-conference, which hopefully should help this team get some momentum, get some uh, rhythm before they get to conference play. Uh, and that is where they're going to be really, really challenged. A lot of teams with a ton of experience are coming back uh, this year in the WCC. This Pepperdine team is one of the youngest um, in the league, if not the youngest, if they in San Diego are going to be one, two in that category. And experience does matter in this conference. They do have some youth that has experience. Again, Millette and Porter um, kind of lead that list along with Ethan Anderson. But they are going to have to translate that onto the court and what that does that experience look like? Does that mean they'll take care of the ball better? Does that mean they'll play better defense? What does that better defense look like? Maybe, and how how are they going to be able to play better defense? Um, maybe Kulabali, um is able to play a more significant role down low and be, be a little bit more of that enforcer that I think uh, uh, the, that Pepperdine has wanted to see over the last uh, year or so. And then I think just on a lesser note, there there has to be a conversation about the status of Lorenzo Romar and whether he is on the hot seat or not for the Waves. A couple of back-to-back, very subpar seasons, uh, 10th place in both of those years. And... This both happen the these seasons both happen after Colby Ross and Kessler Edwards leave, and how quickly can this thing this thing be turned around? How quickly of a process does this need to be? Now, I'm not saying that the seat is hot because I don't think it is. I think that you can see that there's the talent is still there. They're still producing NBA players, NBA caliber players. They're recruiting NBA caliber players. But how quickly can these start to turn into wins? How quickly can this be turned around? And how quickly can the ship be righted to be a competitive team in the WCC? Because the gap between they and some of the others in the conference is starting to be very noticeable. LMU has now done it for a, a few consistent seasons, two out of the last three. USF has now been more consistent. Santa Clara has upped their game. Portland, you can make the case, is also kind of starting to be in that category, but uh, I need to see more from them. 
how quickly can Pepperdine be back in that conversation? Because over the last couple of years, they have slipped out of that. And if they are going, if Romar is going to be around for the long term, I think that they need to get back to being a more competitive team in the WCC. All right. With that, I will wrap up this episode of the unofficial WCC Hoops podcast. Next week, I'll be going over the next three teams on my list, which are going to be St. Mary's, LMU, and then also going over, I believe I have it written now. Let me take a look. I keep actually losing that list of who I have. Three more teams next week. I will go, we'll start to review those. Gonzaga will highlight week. Uh, the third week of previews. Uh, so we'll get into the Gales next week, the Zags the following week, um, and then everybody else will be kind of like grouped in uh, with the rest of them as we go along. All right. Remember, be sure to subscribe to the podcast. Be sure to um, check out all the other uh, team previews that we that I'm putting out there over the next few weeks. Uh, less than a month to the season. It's starting to get going. Uh, the sound of the kennel is starting to ring in my ear, which is both exciting and terrifying at the same time. Uh, follow me on social media, all the platforms at Post by Zach. Um, and thanks for watching, and I will uh, catch you later.